invite you to be seated, and our preschoolers can make their way to their class. Looks like Mr. Corey and Ms. Chandler in the back for you guys, so preschoolers, y'all head on out to your class. Everybody else, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, we'll be looking at the first 13 verses. Finishing up our series as we're looking at some of the fundamentals of our church. As we're trying to reorient ourselves to remind one another of why we exist and what we're called to do. We've, for the past two weeks, been looking at a couple uh, big fundamentals of our church two weeks ago. We considered something that we call gospel doctrine. This is the mere truth of the gospel and all of its implications. And so we've said that if we're going to make disciples who love God and others, if we're going to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment, we have to know the gospel before anything else. And then last week we, we talked about something we call gospel culture. And this is the social environment that the gospel creates. And we've said that if we're going to fulfill those two, the great commission, the great commandment we're going to make disciples who love God and others we have to show the gospel and today we're going to finish this series by looking at something we call gospel mission so gospel doctrine gospel culture and gospel mission gospel mission is the action that the gospel drives we're going to make disciples who love God and others we have to go with the gospel especially to those who have yet to believe now what do we mean by gospel mission. If, if you uh, were out there and you received notes, um, we, we have sermon notes. If you desperately want sermon notes and we don't have any, no one will fault you for leaving right now. It should still be in the lobby out there. You can go pick up a copy, or if you don't have it, just pick one up on your way out. Um, you can follow along there. Um, simply put, gospel mission <coughs> excuse me, is just a catchy way of describing how the good news about Jesus, gospel, drives us to do something in his name, mission. That's, that's the simple definition of it. The good news about Jesus drives us to do something in his name. And that something primarily involves two parts, two kinds of work. Announcing the gospel and advancing the kingdom. We're going to expand on those toward the end of the sermon today. But what we need to acknowledge on the front end is that the grace that we receive from Jesus does not remain dormant in us. It's this, this isn't some, some strange way where God somehow graciously saves us and then that's the end of the story and, and the power of his grace that saved us does nothing more than that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. My man knew Thank you. Need that water. God's grace that we receive from and through Jesus, it lives in us. It works in us. And it wants to move through us to others. You see, gospel mission is a call to build a life that advances the cause and the kingdom of Jesus at our jobs, in our homes, in our city, and, and in the whole world. 
Tupelo needs churches. Not just one church, not just two church, two, two churches. Tupelo needs multiple churches that are living on gospel mission. We're not here, as tempting as it may be, we are not here to just be another weekend option for people who live in the area. Oh, there are tons of things you could do. You know, you could go catch a movie. You could, you know, you could go, uh, you know, maybe play in a tournament if you're into sports. You could just go hang out at a lake somewhere. Or you could go to church, you know. We're, you just show up there. We have a lot of churches in the area. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what we want to be. Tupelo needs churches that are filled with people who are orienting their entire lives, not, not just one aspect of them, the Sunday part, their entire lives around the mission of God in the world. And we're going to be focusing on the mission of God today, and we're going to be doing so by looking at Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. This passage is not your typical missionary passage, okay? You don't, you don't, you know, if you're doing a commissioning service for missionaries being sent around the world, I doubt the IMB would say, we gotta, we got to read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. We have to use this. It, you don't typically think of it when you think of mission. There are plenty of other places in Scripture that we could go. But Paul emphasizes a few things in this passage that are related to mission that he doesn't mention in other places. In this passage, Paul shares why he lives on gospel mission, who that mission is for, and then from those two realities, we can see and we can share what that mission should look like for us, especially our local faith family. So today, we're going to do three things. I want to show you three things from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. First, I want to show you the motivation for gospel mission. Second, I want to show you the mystery of gospel mission. I love when Paul uses this word mystery, and he uses it here about the mission of God, the mystery of gospel mission, and finally, the means, the motivation, the mystery, and the means of gospel mission. Well, first, the motivation. Um, it, it really seems like, I want you to look with me at Ephesians 3, uh, starting in verse 1, at least in my Bible anyway, there's this uh, extended hyphen at the end of the word Gentiles. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And it really gives this feeling that he's about to start a prayer. You know, and, and most scholars believe that Paul is starting a prayer right here. And last week we looked at his prayer. He finishes it. He actually does express a prayer, multiple requests to the Lord. But it feels like he's starting the prayer right here. There's this extended hyphen in my Bible. And then in verse 2 it says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And, he, and then he just goes on this extended discussion about his own stewardship and the mission that he's been given. He quickly diverges here, and he ends up talking about the divine revelation that was made known to him, the mystery of Christ, the inclusion of the Gentiles, and, and many other things. And here's what happened, I believe. When Paul referred to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, it took him back to his whole life's purpose, and he was reminded of the mission that God had sent him on. You see, Paul is in prison, we read, on behalf of the Gentiles, for the sake of the Gentiles, as a result of his preaching the good news that he received from divine revelation. News that centers on this divine mystery of Christ and 
that, that people from all nations, including the Gentiles, are included in God's people now. So, so all this starts flooding into his mind. And so his self-description prompted him to share with these Ephesian believers and us the source of their salvation is rooted in the eternal mission of God. And so in the course of this digression, Paul gives three reasons why we should join him on mission. First, we live on mission because God has revealed his mission to us. This is, this is my favorite part of parenting at this season of their lives, and it's, I, we already feel like it's, uh, our boys' lives, we already feel like it's fleeting, it's, it's fading away, and we don't like how quickly it's fading away, but you know where you're still in that season where you, you tell your kids to do something, and they, they don't want to do it, and what do you say back? Why, why, why do we have to do that, and what do we say back? Because I said so, right? I said so. Right now, that's enough. You know, I, one day, that's not going to fly, and I'll have to figure something else out, and we'll see. I'll, I'll try to get some wisdom from y'all. But one of the reasons, one of the motivations, we don't need to overlook this, that Paul lived on mission is because God told him to. God told him to. He revealed it to him. There's a mission that I'm on, and you are joining me. I'm sending you out. So Paul says, I lived on mission because God first revealed it to me. Here's what he writes. He says, starting in verse 2, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's what we see here. Gospel mission begins with God, not us. Paul's role in the mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles is not ownership. It's stewardship. Because the mission belongs to God, not him. The mission to make disciples is not ours. It's God's. <coughs> and this mission originated with God's grace, not Paul's wisdom. Paul lived on gospel mission because God had revealed this mission to him. God initiated. God moved. God sent. And because the mission belongs to God, it does not belong to us, so we don't get to dictate it. We don't get to, you know, to say whether or not we should be living on mission or not. God's the one who sins. And this mission that God is on, it is referring to this global and grand work of God to redeem sinners and to restore the created order through the work of Jesus. And, and here's, here's how far it stretches back. After God created humans... All the way back in the very beginning, to reflect his glory, they fell into sin. And since that day, all of creation has suffered. All of creation has suffered the consequences. All of creation is fallen and broken. And so the mission of God is now to recover all that was lost and to restore all that was broken. Mission means that God is still active. The Bible, it's this completed account, this completed book, and even though it's completed, we have the full revelation of God in his word. God is not trapped in the book. The Bible testifies and teaches the reality 
that God has remained on mission and will continue to be active to complete his mission through his church. So this mission is the mission of God, and because he has initiated it, and because he has revealed it to us, we must align our lives with it. Now there's a second reason here. We live on mission, not just because God has revealed it, but because Jesus accomplished it. <coughs> Gospel mission centers on the person and work of Jesus. You see, th this is what's so, so interesting. How does Paul refer to himself? Not as a prisoner of Caesar, because he was. He was a prisoner of Caesar. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. The divine mystery of God that was revealed to Paul. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. Those who believe the gospel. How does he refer to them here in this passage? As partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul's mission is to preach to the Gentiles what we see later here in Ephesians 3. The unsearchable riches of Christ. God's eternal purposes and plans. They find fulfillment and realization in who? In Jesus. And, and it's through Jesus that we all have boldness and access to fulfill the mission. We see this at the end of uh, this, this passage. So it's only through the work of Jesus that the mission of God succeeds. Jesus' death and resurrection are requirements for salvation. It's the only way we can be saved. It's the only way creation can be restored. There is no mission apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. So why should we orient our lives around the mission of God to reach people for his sake? Why? Very simply, Jesus rose from the dead. And listen, if, if we ever become convinced that, that for whatever reason, Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, we can quit. That's when we can quit. Until that time, until that new revelation comes, that Jesus actually remained dead, we can't quit. We don't have an option. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead as a historical reality is the basis of the mission of the church. It's why we make disciples. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. Repentance means nothing. Our message is empty. The mission is, is vanity. Without the resurrection, there's no good news to tell. And it's only through the resurrection that Jesus is given all authority on heaven and on earth to commission and send us out on mission. So responding to the mission of God is a matter of reckoning with the resurrection of Jesus. Here's the question for you. Should, if you're asking yourself, should I live on mission? Should I seek to announce the gospel, seek to influence my friends so that they would come to faith in Jesus, seek to glorify him at work, at home, everywhere I am? Should I do that or shouldn't I do that? Here's the question that you need to ask yourself to answer that one. Is Jesus really raised from the dead? And maybe another one. Does Jesus really possess all authority? Because there are only two options when it comes to God's mission. We can believe that Jesus is alive, that he really is raised from the dead, and live on mission. Or we can reject this reality and deny that Jesus was raised from the dead and then not live on mission. What we can't do is what most of us are prone to do. We cannot believe in the resurrection of Jesus 
and then refuse to live on mission. We can't do that. We can't believe in the resurrection and stake our very lives on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and then refuse to follow him on mission. So we live on mission because Jesus accomplished God's mission. One more thing here, and this just drives it home. We live on mission thirdly because the church is God's plan for finishing his mission. It's intentional. Look with me starting in verse 8 of Ephesians 3. Paul writes, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why? Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So if we follow his logic, Paul says, I was sent to preach to the Gentiles, to reveal the otherwise hidden plan of God to include the Gentiles in his people. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So the point he's making is that as the church is built through the gospel's advancement, as more people believe and the church grows, the whole world will see the wisdom of God in the church, this new community unified in Jesus, made up of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So Paul, even though he's probably one of the most gifted evangelists ever, saw tons of fruit in his ministry, he knew that the mission of God was not limited to apostles. He knew that it wasn't limited to the super gifted or the most influential Christians of the day. The mission of God is for the church. Why should we live on mission? Because we are the church. God plans to use his church to display his manifold wisdom in the world. <coughs> Here's the shorthand to all of this. If you are a Christian, you have been sent on mission, period. Now, this is really important because whenever we think of the mission of God, what we're talking about this morning, we tend to think of missionaries, people who sell all their stuff, they move halfway across the world, they live in a remote area, and they share the gospel with people who have never heard it. And we think that's, that's who the mission of God is for. That's what it means. And I'm not that person. I don't have, the Lord has not called me to that. We think, of, we think of David and Melissa Smith. And they're living on mission because of, of what they did. They, they left. They went to Papua New Guinea and they're serving the Lord there. Or we think, of, we think of Ian. Ian's always the person that comes to mind when I think of this. One of our mission partners who literally is all over the place. It's like, hey, where does Ian serve? I, I don't know what. Well, where is he serving now? It's somewhere, somewhere in a, in a remote area, in a really hard-to-reach area with, a, with you know, having a, a deep impact for the gospel. And I think he's living on mission. I, that's not my calling. But the mission of God is for each and every one of us, each and every one of us, right where we are. If God has revealed his mission, this is Paul's logic, if God has revealed his mission, then, then we're sent. We have to live on mission. If Jesus was raised from the dead, 
And he accomplished the mission of God. And the forgiveness of sins is not just a theory, but it's a reality. Then Jesus has sent you. If the church really is God's plan to reach the nations, and you're a part of the church, you have been sent. You don't have to wait for anything else to happen. You don't have to wait for a special calling from the Lord. You have been sent on mission. No matter your circumstances, no matter your address, God plans to use you to advance his gospel and his kingdom. And no matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter your occupation, no matter you know, your degree of, of Bible knowledge, no matter your social or financial status, God has plans to use you to change the world for Christ. We have much motivation to live on gospel mission. There's something else here we need to see and that Paul shows us, and it's the mystery of gospel mission. Who is it for? If we're supposed to live on mission and we're supposed to share the gospel, who, who are we after? Who's, who's it for? Now, the mission of God is usually something that we take for granted or, or something we neglect altogether, but, but we need to see how Paul viewed this mission in the highest of terms. Paul saw the mission of God to redeem the world culminating in this thing he calls the mystery of Christ. And he says this mystery was not made known in past generations. Although God has been on mission the whole time, it wasn't made known until Christ. So he says, now through the apostles and the prophets, by the Spirit, the mystery of Christ has been made known. And thankfully for us, Paul tells us exactly what the mystery is. Look at verse 6. Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of God's mission is the inclusion of the Gentiles. Now, this isn't going to hit us in the same way it would have hit the people who originally read this. The people of God, stretching all the way back to Abraham, was limited to the group of people who were physically descended from Abraham. And those were God's people, with some exceptions. You could enter God's people in, in these other ways. God always desired the nations, but that's how it worked, and that's how it was viewed worldwide. But now in Christ, the Gentiles are included in the people of God. And so that doesn't hit us, but we need to read the language here. So we need to feel the weight, we need to feel the beauty of the mystery. Paul describes it. If you flip back to Ephesians 2, if you flip back just, just a little bit, maybe you just have to look up. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, he's describing the mystery right here. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Those who were once strangers to the promises of God, those who were alienated from the people of God, have now been brought near, reconciled, included 
because of the good news that Jesus died and rose again. This is where Christianity is really unique and really beautiful. Christianity proclaims an exclusive truth. There's an exclusivity to Christianity, meaning that the only way for a person to be saved is they have to believe in Jesus. And, and some in the world would view that as, you know, just bigotry. It's like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? You're saying that this, this really good, really wholesome, really nice, wonderful person over here that does so much good in the world is, is going to suffer eternal judgment just because they, they don't believe in Jesus? And to that we say, yes. That's why we're so urgent about this. Salvation is only possible in Jesus. It's only Jesus who bears the wrath of God in our place. It's only Jesus who fulfills the demands of the law that none of us, no matter how good we are, can fulfill. It's exclusive. But, and many have said this before, Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world, in the history of the world. It's the most inclusive, exclusive truth. Yes, only through Jesus, but anyone can get in on it. Anyone. This is the mystery of gospel mission. It's so beautiful. There isn't a single person in your life that's not a candidate for the gospel. There isn't a single person in your life we have the right to just write off and say, no, you're too far gone, you're too bad, there's no way. No, Jesus came and died for sinners. It's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Those who we would not normally associate with the church. Those who have been outcasted by churches. Those who have been rejected by the world. Jesus stands before all of them. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. The saving work of Jesus is not localized. He didn't just come and die for the sins of Israel. The gospel, it began in Jerusalem. It didn't stop there. Repentance and forgiveness extends to all nations. And so that means that the kingdom of God is open to everyone in your neighborhood, everyone at your workplace. The gospel is for every single one of your coworkers and family members that you have, have just forgotten about or, or just written off. It's just there's no way. This is the mystery. People who you would think would never, ever bear an inheritance that is offered in Christ can receive it by faith in Jesus. Now, there's another dimension to the mystery of God's mission that I think probably keeps many of us from actually living on mission. Most of us don't live on mission, not because we're lazy or apathetic, but it's because we just feel so incapable. I mean, you, you may be convinced that this is something you need to do. I need, I need to take evangelism more seriously. I, I need to, to really take the next opportunity to go on a mission trip or whatever it is that you feel like you need to do but then as you start to think about that you're like I don't know that I just don't think I have much to offer I, I don't I don't feel very capable I'm not very smart I'm not very strong I don't really know what I'm doing I'm not I'm not sure um it is mysterious that God chooses to use his church to accomplish this purpose it's mysterious because we're all like that we all have that story. None of us are capable, able to do this. The Apostle Paul knew this. He felt this weight all the time. And he writes here in verse 8, <coughs> To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. You see how he describes himself? I'm the very least. He almost can't believe it. But this is what God does. <coughs> he, 
He takes a bunch of people who are prone to self-centeredness, and he he propels us on his ancient mission to seek and save the lost. And he sends every person that he saves. So how do we qualify for this mission? How? (coughs) You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the wisest. You don't have to be the most creative, the most outgoing. You don't have to be the strongest or the wealthiest. You qualify for this mission if you are weak and you're a sinner clinging to a strong Savior. Okay, one last thing to show here. (coughs) What should we actually be doing? So, if we have the motivation that we need, God's revealed it, Jesus has accomplished it, and God wants to use the church. And if we've seen this beautiful mystery that the gospel is for everyone, the kingdom is wide open, there's not a person you meet that's not a candidate for the gospel. And the mystery that he chooses to use you and all of your flaws What do we do? Well, we see Paul say that he does a couple things. So he says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To do what? To preach to, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what else? To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So there are essentially two ways, two means by which Paul lives on mission. First, he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. Second, he brings to light the plan of the mystery of Christ. So what we're going to say, the language we're going to use, is that in order to live on gospel mission, we need to do two things. Announce the gospel and advance the kingdom. So living on gospel mission means first announcing the gospel. For Paul... Living on mission was simple. Tell other people about Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the best teacher in the world. People can have questions. You're like, I have no clue. What I haven't thought about that yet. I'm not sure. What about this thing in, in your Bible I know about? Do you have an answer for that? No, I don't. No, Paul lived on mission by telling other people about Jesus, who he was, what he did, what is found in him. The riches that are found in Jesus, he just takes them one by one and lays them out for all the people that he comes in contact with. He's telling others about Jesus because it's only when people hear and respond in faith to the gospel about Jesus that their sins will be forgiven. God has sent us to tell other people about Jesus. Now, what do we tell them? Lots of stuff we could tell them about Jesus, right? At minimum, we we tell them these two things. That Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that's just not a phrase you need to memorize and then just share it, you know, randomly and just sprinkle it into conversation. Oh, by the way, yeah, that was a really good cheesesteak. But did you know that Jesus died and rose for the forgiveness of your sins? I mean, you could do that. That might have a a shock value effect on somebody that's just like, you know, eating their their fries. But, you know, you don't have to do that. But that's what you need to focus on. That's where we're getting to about Jesus. That's what it's centered on. That's where salvation is found. And we have to remember that because people are so prone to think that their good works or their obedience will save them. 
And we tell them, no, this is what we believe. Jesus has accomplished it through his death and through his resurrection. Your sins will be forgiven. And the second part we need to tell them. How do we receive the forgiveness? What do we do? We have to attend church, you know, an X amount of times? No. We receive forgiveness through repentance and faith. So if we're going to actually join God on the mission that he's revealed to us, we have to share the gospel freely and often. We need to be ready and willing to share the gospel with those that the Lord has placed in our lives at a moment's notice. Now, one way we can start doing this, okay, because this is where a lot of guys will just say, here's a formula, and just plug and play. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give you a way to share the gospel with someone because our lives are so complex, are they not? I mean, if you just have like, like a script and you're trying to find an opportunity to just pull it out and use it in a conversation with someone, you're most likely not going to share the gospel with anyone because there's just no natural way for it to happen. You need to stop thinking of your life like that. You need to start thinking of your entire life being under the lordship of Jesus and every single conversation you have can turn toward the gospel. I've told you this so many times before, but I was actually in a conversation with a guy about aliens that somehow led to the gospel. Aliens. He was talking, I mean, he was, he was just like, which, I, now, here's something else I'll admit to you. When I use myself as an example, I sort of have an in with a lot of people because they ask me what I do for work, and I tell them I'm a pastor, and so, you know, the conversation gets to religious and spiritual things really quickly. So I, I, I get that. It's not quite as simple for, for a, lot of, a lot of people. But we're somehow talking. He's talking about, you know, what's your Bible say about aliens? You know, he was being ridiculous, and I was like, well... Well, we, you know, we once were aliens um, from the promises of God. No, I didn't say that. But uh, I, I said, you know, not much I, uh, from what I think you're getting at here. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think the Bible says very much about aliens. But, huh, so, you know, I guess you go to hell if you believe in aliens, don't you? I was like, well, where did you get that? I said, well, no, uh, that's, not, that's not how a, how a person faces judgment, you know, from God. We face Judgment the same way that anyone faces judgment in the world. Like, you, you break the law of the land. And, and you know, the Lord is, is the one who we believe is, is the sovereign king of the universe. And we've broken his law. And so we deserve judgment and all that. And so we're talking about it and everything. And he's just like, but what if? What if aliens existed? If they existed. I'm like, oh, I love these, these conversations. Oh, well, if they did. He was like, if they existed, wouldn't it change your faith a little bit? I said, oh, not at all. I said, there is an if situation that would, though. There's an if situation that would. It's not if aliens existed. They could exist, and it wouldn't change anything. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, it would change my faith. And that's it. Boom. We're talking about aliens. We get to the gospel in some way. You need to start viewing your life in this way. You're, ta you're talking to a person who has an eternal soul, who is valuable, who's created by God, who's made in his image, who God desires, wants, yearns for. And you need to pray for the Spirit to guide and lead your conversations, no matter how strange they are, and to somehow get back to the heart of the gospel. You need to start thinking like this. Since Jesus is king, how do I process changes that happen to me at work? And how can that inform my conversations with my coworkers? Okay, since Jesus is king, how do we talk about life issues as a family? And how do we connect them to, back to the gospel? 
how should we discuss world issues in light of the fact that Jesus died and rose again? And how does that impact the conversations that we have? Living on gospel mission means announcing the gospel, but it also means advancing the kingdom. This is, this is interesting. In the Lord's Prayer, you remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus, he, he teaches us to pray. One of the things he teaches us to pray is what? Your kingdom come, what? Yeah, thy will be done. Your will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer. Do you know what Jesus said when he started his earthly ministry? He begins his earthly ministry. The first thing he says, first thing out of his mouth is he, is he starts to go on, you know, a mission. He says, the kingdom of God is what? Anybody know? At hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is a way of referring to the reign or the rule of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus started this kingdom. He inaugurated a spiritual that will one day be physical kingdom. Now this kingdom brings with it a specific way of life that's modeled after Jesus himself. You see, when we think about the gospel or about salvation or about God's mission, we usually stop at the resurrection of Jesus and the spiritual benefits that result. That's where we stop. Even when we tell other people about Jesus, I just told you what to say, and I stopped there. I'm catching myself here. When we say, Jesus died and he rose again, if you believe in him, you will be forgiven right now. You will have eternal life. And that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story. It's, it's an important part of it. it Maybe central. When Jesus died, his body was buried. And when Jesus was raised, he was raised not with the old body, but with a new body. And then something else happened. Do you remember the story? Jesus ascended into heaven. We confessed it in in the Nicene Creed. He ascended into heaven. And then, that's not the end of the story. One day, in the future, Jesus, with his new, resurrected, glorified body, will return to the earth. He's coming back, and when he does, he's going to set all things right. Now, it's going to be on that day, when Jesus returns, not one day sooner, not one day later, that the mission of God will be complete. That's when it will be complete. That's where we are headed. The mission of God ends with a new creation, a new earth, with God's new people inhabiting it and ruling over it with new glorified bodies. One day, as the prophet Habakkuk foresaw, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what the finished mission will look like. Now, here's the point for us now. So what do we do in light of that future reality? The gospel of the kingdom guarantees a future reality that we've always wanted. We will have the bodies we always wanted. We will have the lives we always wanted. But the kingdom of God, what did Jesus say? It's at hand. It is here now. We in part experience now the life that we will have in full then. Eternal life begins now. 
So part of fulfilling the mission of God is bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the world now. We work now to bring truth into a world of confusion. We work now to bring beauty into a world of brutality. We work now to bring goodness into a world of evil. And we work now to bring peace into a world of chaos. We shine with the light of Christ in the darkness. We work toward realities that will be true in the new earth. We work for realities in our perishable bodies that we will experience fully in our imperishable bodies. And we can do this in all of the ordinary parts of our lives. You can live on mission in the most ordinary ways. In your career, in your family, in your friendships. We can bring God's kingdom to bear through art, through music, through sports, through school, through our hobbies. God's kingdom invades every sphere of life and it transforms it for good. And that's why it is important for us to pursue transformation in our lives and in the lives of others. That's why we work to bring justice and peace and healing and mercy to those who are suffering. That's why we will work to help others live now as they will one day live in the new earth. Because the gospel is the way we are shown how God's world is supposed to be. Now, I want to, I wanna, in closing, present three goals. We've done, I've done this in the past, three mission goals for our church. And these aren't hyper-specific. They are, they are more overarching. They are, it's, it's more big picture. Mission goal number one. How do we advance the kingdom and announce the gospel? Well, we do it first through what we can call church expansion. Here's what this means. We want our church to grow through evangelism. That's how we want Trace Crossing to grow, in number. We want it to grow in number primarily through evangelism. That doesn't mean we close the door for people if, if they're moving in, they're already believers. We don't say, oh, you're already a believer? Oh, we really don't want you to join here. We, you know, prefer non-believers to join here. No, that's not what we mean at all. Like, we want like-minded believers to be joining our fellowship as well. But in terms of our growth, we, our strategy, I'm just going to let you know right now, our strategy is not to make our church so appealing to people who are currently in other churches so that they will come and join our church. They'll leave their church and come join our church. We're not in that game. We're not playing that game. We are in the business of taking the gospel we've received, announcing it to those who have yet to believe, and growing our church primarily through evangelism. And there are two, two kinds of people that would sort of fit here, especially in our particular context. People we can call or, or label unreached. Those are people who have never believed the gospel. There's another group of people, especially in light of COVID, that are probably being really neglected right now, and it's people who are, com are, are believers, but they're disconnected from the church completely. So they might be on a church's membership role, but they haven't been to church in years, and COVID just exacerbated that issue, and so they just, they don't, they don't go to church. They're, they're, they believe in Jesus, but they're not connected to a local church. If there are people in your lives like that, we want to reach them and get them plugged into a local church, even if it's not our local church. But we want them to be a part of the local church, but especially those who have yet to believe. Okay? Church expansion. 
mission goal. Number two, church extension. Okay, we, we announce the gospel and we advance the gospel through missions. We extend the gospel to the ends of the earth through missions. And right now, we are currently doing that through multiple partners. We, as I mentioned earlier, we're partnered with David and Melissa Smith. We're partnering with missionaries in the Middle East. I'm not going to mention their names, their location for safety reasons. Um, but we're partnered with them. We uh, give financially from our budget. We uh, are in communication with them, looking for ways that we could actually send teams to where they are to support them in the work that they're doing. We're partnering with Ian Thompson and the work that he's doing, Amun and Gazala, uh, Sharon in New Jersey, the, the work that they're doing there. And then we're as, as the Southern Baptist Church, we support the IMB and, and the work of missionaries all around the world. We believe in announcing the gospel and taking it to places where it is yet to be believed. And we as elders really believe in this. We think it's so important and crucial that one of the things that we're going to do, we decided to do, we've already met with him, is we're going to appoint Brandon Weber to serve as our deacon of missions. We want there to be a deacon of missions. We had this role in the past, um, and we haven't had it for some time now, but uh, we've, we've asked Brandon. He's prayerfully considered. He's willing to step into this role to, to oversee uh, the facilitation of uh, our mission partners and, and the trips that we'll take to them. He's already been on a trip. He's about to go on another trip, and uh, he's going to be uh, stepping into that role per your vote that we'll have in a couple weeks. We'll, we'll vote in a couple weeks on Brandon. You'll have an opportunity to affirm that. But we believe in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then finally, one last goal. And this involves us, not just as a church, but as individuals. Church impact and influence. So we have church expansion, church extension, and church impact and influence. We announce the gospel and we advance the kingdom through mercy ministries as a church and through outreach and just through our individual lives. So our mission includes influencing and impacting the communities in which we live for good. And here's the truth behind that. As citizens of a spiritual, eternal kingdom, we live by King Jesus' rules. And if we're submitting to him, wherever we are, think about it, wherever we are should be a better place. Your, your workplace should be a better place because a follower of Jesus is there. And that, that should be true in, in the schools that we're in, in, in our neighborhoods, in, in all the places that we inhabit. And we're also making a difference for the kingdom in Tupelo through local partnerships that we have, through Park Cake Pregnancy Center, through New Beginnings Adoptions Agency, through the benevolence ministries that we carry on here at the church, through the Talbot House, through, through Mute and, and the ways that we're trying to impact the homeless community. These are important works, and they're not just random good things that we should be doing. They are connected to the mission of God as we're seeking the flourishing of all people because that is what the future is going to be like in Christ. So I want to encourage you, let's strive to live on gospel mission together by announcing the gospel, especially to those who have yet to hear it, and advancing the kingdom for the glory of God.